Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. He was in a golf field, as you do as kids. He didn't even come off the golf field, run a jump over the fence, running away. And then next week, now a police car pulls up. And I swear, I swear, there's about six of us, you know. I'm the only black one there. And who does the, who does the policeman come to? The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Now listen to the Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching, with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways, alongside a vast experience on individual, player and team performance analysis. And as part of our Insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and today I'm joining a very special guest. I've got Antoine Thompson with me. He's a Cheltenham Town Academy Manager. Good morning, Antoine. How are you? Yeah, good morning, yes. Um, I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah, so it's a pleasure to, sh- to be on the, on, on, the, on the show. Brilliant. It's you know, a pleasure to be ours, hopefully. Um, right, Anton, I don't want to waste any time. I'm going to get straight into it. Yeah. Take me right back to the start of your coaching journey. How did you get into it? What sparked your interest in coaching? Well, yeah. Yeah, blimey, yeah. Where do we start? <laughs> um, you know, for me, I was, I was born in London. Um, you know, I started my coaching when I was 17. Um, I'm 33 now. Um, my dad, my dad used to be a coach. Uh, he used to coach uh, my sister's team, uh, which I used to help out really um, when I was about 17. So that was my first little introduction to coaching. Um, you know, since that, it was just a case of 
along the pathway, just coaching along the way, really. Uh, so I guess in football-wise, I mean, linked to that, I was playing football alongside that. Um, didn't quite make it into your, your ca- academies, as they say, um, growing up in the area, um, but managed to, to represent Chelsea, uh, which was nice in the international tournament. Uh, playing against PSV, uh, it was a highlight of, uh, of my youth, really. Um, quite enjoyed that. Um, alongside that, again, still coaching uh, the kids and stuff. Um, and then so I went on to uh, play at Woking, uh, under-19s, um, played there um, two years there before, uh, after leaving college, really. Um, in my first year at college, uh, I was doing sort of maths and all that sort of stuff. And uh, Woking approached me and said, do you want to come play football? So I went over to, so I said to Woking, oh, yeah, why not? Um, lucky enough, I supported parents, so, you know, they'd rather me be happy, as they say. Um, so I followed my dream of playing football, and that's always been my passion. Um, it's been a passion from day one, and... I'm quite lucky to be working in that environment at the moment. Brilliant. You talked about, you know, you are growing up in London, obviously you're in Cheltenham now. Whereabouts in London did you grow up, Antoine? Yeah, so just on the outskirts. Um, I was born in Wandsworth, um, but then gradually moved out of the area as, as I was, um, as over the years went, and then ended up really growing up in Epsom, which is sort of the area I grew up in, um, as uh-huh. I say. Yeah, sure. And in terms of, you, see, you know, you started coaching when you were 17, you know, going back 16 years now. Well, how was that first coming into it? And obviously, you know, the initial stages of that, you know, what kind of age groups were you working with and what was what the environment's like? Yeah, I mean, me being so young at the time, I think looking back at it, um, yeah, you see, I was I was a novice, I think. <laughs> um, very much would coach what I'd been taught or, or how I'd been coached. Um, not saying it was a bad coaching, but just I think maybe looking back at some of the methods that were probably used when I was coaching was not maybe what I'd be doing now. Uh, I mean, I've funny enough, I've always been one of those that enjoy game time playing. So in terms of coaching, um, letting, letting the kids play really, um, that was very much what I used to do when I was younger, um, alongside the technical aspect. So yeah, that's where I came from at the, at the start. Mm. And you know, obviously, you talked there about you know. And similar to a lot of coaches, I would assume in that, you know, when you first start out, you almost deliver in a way that maybe you've been delivered to or you've just just been uh, exposed to in that respect. Is there, was there any questions that you started having at those early stages when you you going through that, you think, oh, I'm not sure if this is quite right or this actually works or this doesn't quite work for you straight away on on initial reflection of delivery? Yeah, I mean, I get it interesting because, because I was playing myself at the time. Um, it was very much, it was like a midweek coaching sessions and I didn't necessarily see or all the time see him in a game. Um, mm. So that was quite a challenge, I think, at the time. Um, yeah, really. So, it was, yeah. Right. So, you know, obviously, you know, you're currently sitting as academy manager at Charlton Town. So, can you might just kind of elaborate on the journey a little bit and tell us how that, how that came about in terms of you progressing your coaching journey into more, I guess, quote-unquote elite environments? Yeah, so after leaving Woking, uh, after playing there and then 19s, uh, didn't get offered anything in terms of a deal or a full-time deal, as they say, in terms of uh, the first team. Um, but alongside that journey, I always knew that I wanted to work in football, uh, wanted to be a coach, and um, I sort of had that sort of long-term plan already in my head. So, yeah, ended up going to applying for university, went to Hartbury College, um, which is in Gloucester, uh, part of U- UWE, University of West of England. So, yeah, moved up to the area uh, where I'm living now in Gloucester, um, so you played football there, played a bit non-league football alongside studying um, a degree in sports coaching and conditioning. Uh, alongside that, I was doing my, uh, I, think I just completed my UEFA B in that first year. 
um, at university. Um, I then was sort of coaching in the community for a year and uh, working with obviously the, what I'd say, the after school clubs and, you know, working in schools and that sort of stuff, um, which I think is, is, is challenging if, you, if you're, you're coaching, um, definitely because of the mixed abilities. Um, and then from that, um, my second year uni, I went to, I joined the Academy of Chatham Town. And just to clarify, you know, just start looking right. at time-wise now, we're what, maybe 2003, 2004 kind of time? Yes, yes. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, yeah, yeah a few years now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, it's a long journey, definitely, to get to where I got to now. But, um, yeah, but it, yeah, that was a key that was a key turning point for me when I joined the academy at Chiang Town. And the academy manager at the time had asked me after that first year of coaching the academy, is, you know, what do I want to do? I'm going forwards and I was part of an appraisal and I said to him I, I want to do what you're doing um, yeah. he, he sort of he sort of like took, sort of took a back step as they say like I'm going to do what I'm doing <laughs> I did to say are you sure and now I know now I know why by the way but um, <laughs> he, he was like yeah you sure you know everyone wants to be like a, a Mourinho or you know a first team manager etc and I said no I said I love my coaching don't get me wrong but I, I, yeah I'd rather do what you're doing and um he said, okay, I'll see what I can do. And then ever since that, I just, yeah, he got me in for voluntary. Um, I was doing, you know, I was not getting paid for, just learning the trade. And then then one thing leads to another, really. Um, then you got offered a part-time job, then you get offered a full-time job. And then next minute you're in it, and then you're evolving from there, really. Mm, what was that progression like? So obviously, you know, you've now gone into the academy. You know, uh, from what you're saying, even achieving you for B at what would be considered a relatively young age, certainly yeah, at that time, anyway. Yeah. Um, what was that like? Because obviously, you know, the coach education pathway has changed massively over the you know last ten, even fifteen, even even the last couple of years in particular. Yeah. Um, what was that like? I was up here at uni, but I was do- I fin- I was going back to Surrey to finish off my UA for B at the time. Um, and I think the England one of the England educators now, Ted Dale, was one of my. One of my lead, lead coaches at the time, and um, yeah, he <laughs> it was it's different to now, different to now, definitely. Um, very much a stop standstill mentality then, wasn't it? Um, mm. whereas now, because I've done my UA4A now as well, is that going through that UA4A process was totally different to the UA4B process in the sense that, yeah, there's about more free flow football, um, with then getting in at the right time to deliver your detail. And when did you do UFA? Um, my UFA was completed, uh, I think, two years ago. So you would have done. You would have been part of the new format then. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I've seen both. <laughs> yeah, both yeah. sides of it. Um, and yes, and they both have their. I think at the time they had their benefits. You know what I mean? It was what it was back in the day. But yeah, now I just think coach education is probably in a better place or the best place I've ever been. To be honest. Hundred percent. I think you know, this, you know, I, I, similar to yourself, you know, I went through the old style B license and uh, mm. when I, th- I did the A, you know, I think about four years ago now. Mm. Um, I think it was actually the first. It was a pilot, the pilot for the new, the new, I guess, A license, if you want to call it. Oh, that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, there was. A, I consider myself, and I'm, I'm, you know, it'll be interesting to get your views, and I consider myself quite fortunate because I've seen both sides of the coin in that respect. Yeah. Um, and I think you can really take away and appreciate what the old format kind of offered um, and how much you can kind of maybe benefit and build and develop on that with the new style of uh, delivery as well. What are your thoughts on that? And in particular, kind of to kind of build on that, you know, there'll be a lot of coaches who maybe have shared some frustration at times because the emphasis seemingly 
be less on the technical aspect of things with the new pathway. Yes, when I did my A for B, it was very much stop, stand, still. Um, wasn't enjoyable for the players, we know this. <laughs> but I, from a selfish perspective and a coach perspective, it was really good to talk the game, um, talk the detail, um, and really test your knowledge in that sense and how, you, and how it comes across. And that's what you got marked on, really, wasn't it? Definitely. Um, yeah, nowadays, it's very much, you know, they say games, the game's a teacher, that sort of thing. And, you know, the boys have got to be able to, or well, boys or girls have got to be able to play. Um, constantly, you know, you're talking about, I don't know, was it 70 odd percent ball rolling time? Yeah. Um, so for us as coaches now, it's very much challenging um, to get that detail in um, without affecting that ball rolling time. So, yeah, I think I think on the course, it's quite hard for maybe the educators to see your detail and your understanding of your, your technical knowledge, uh, tactical knowledge as well. Um, but just because you can't, yeah, stop, stand still and really talk. Um, but it's a benefit because end of the day it is about the players um, yeah. and it's not about us as coaches. It's about them playing and we just got to find, yeah, what we have done is evolve and be, and be better at getting detailing quicker um, and in smaller chunks. Just on that then, you know, because you talk there about not being able to demonstrate your details often, but what about from a coach education perspective? Do you think there was less emphasis on the terms of the coach educators in terms of their delivery of the technical aspect of things? Um... Certainly for me, you know, when I went on that A license in particular, I mean, they were, you know, obviously they did put on a couple of exemplar sessions for us in in that respect. But a lot of it, I felt it was almost right. We're going to hand over to you guys. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. Show yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Get you. It yeah, was get you. Uh, very much similar to that. Not to say that they wouldn't support you if you had any questions or anything like that. But obviously, the emphasis seems to be it, from what was heavily a, I guess, a tutor led uh, environment to now a. Uh, student-led environment um and that maybe you know personally i've had this conversation with many people from joining maybe the shift might be a little bit too much too soon um rather than a gradual process and then obviously you know kind of build on that as well then yeah what you say to those coaches who are maybe who are equally feeling that way yeah um yeah i see where you're coming from um very much on the UEFAB when we, when we were doing it is that it was it was for me it was like me seeing best practice it was like yeah. me seeing you know like I would class them as top coaches because they're you know they're, they're, they're educators in their in their respect that they are good coaches so for me it was seeing best practice and then from that like you said there you, you probably you, you get things on best practice don't you? you you pick up things the little things you like and you go away and you try and work on it etc and um yeah, very much with the new UA4As and the new process, um, you know, they probably argue that it's, it's ownership, you know, giving ownership in your court and you sort of develop better from that. Um, but yeah, I'm one like you, maybe because I went through the older models that I like to see best practice. I like to see the tutors coach. And um, yeah, we don't see that as much as on the, on the UA4As at the moment, um, especially when I went for it anyway. It wasn't as much like you said. Um, and it's very much us doing it ourselves, which... Which ironically, I think the new, new, like the AYA, like literally now, and maybe the UEFA A now, is that they are, it's like, um, go on, is it the in club visits? Yeah, the institute visits. Yeah, yeah. So actually, when you're actually on the course itself, you're not actually delivering as much. Um, so yeah, it'd be interested to see if their tutors are delivering more now on well, them I mean, or not. Mm. I, I, I'm, you know, like I'm speaking from 
experience of going through the advanced youth award and the year license over the, over the recent years and there was a lot like I said, a, a lot more emphasis on the, i guess the the learners putting up putting out sessions and going through their own practical delivery which you know i see the benefit of but you know let's be honest you know i'm sure you've, you've probably come from a similar, similar pathway in myself in that a lot of the coaches coming onto these courses generally would have come on to maybe get some of that more, as you put it, best practice examples yeah. uh, to kind of pick the brains of the, of the tutor in those sessions and kind of really take those on board. I think it certainly has opened up a platform where coaches can be more expressive about the way they do things and you know, a large part of the way that things are delivered now is, right, here's what I'm going to do. Fine, that's okay, but give us the reason why. Yeah. Um, which is you know which is great because it, it challenges coaches to maybe think more about what they're doing and why they're doing it rather than just uh, yeah you know, following suit so to speak. Yeah. From that perspective, you know, what would you say to those coaches who maybe are at you know in some ways frustrated that they're maybe not getting as much exposure to the technical side of things and there's a lot more emphasis on it being as you put it more ownership um, and you know something that you touched on earlier as well about this shift towards, you know, let the game be the teacher and things like that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think for the coaches, it's a case of going to these coaches and courses and this, you know, you you might not see best practice, but you'll you'll hear it. Um, and to be fair, you will see it. You might not see it as in the, the classic sense of on the on the grass and training, but you'll see it through video clips and what they show you, you know, and it's, 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 it's a different form, the way they're delivering it in the day and, I think you still get some really good stuff. Um, and not just that, the experience in the room um, in terms of your fellow coaches, you know, because, yeah, when you talk to each other, you, you tend to pick up one or two tips and tricks um, that you could possibly use going forwards. Um, mm. And I think, it's, I think it's down to the coach to ask questions um, because I always say, if you don't ask the questions, you won't get anything like, you know what I mean? So it's, you, you've got to ask questions and all they can say is, no, I ain't got an answer for you. No, I can't do this. Um, but it's ask the tutors because they'll be happy to talk to you. They, they you know, they, they open up. Definitely. Definitely. I just want to take it back to your own journey a little bit now. You know, you obviously you started off the academy. What was that journey like? You know, what, what age groups did you start with? Obviously, you've know, been there for you know, the best part of 15 years or, or slightly yeah. longer. Yeah, definitely. Academy manager, what, what was that journey like? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, um, yeah, I've done just, I've done all the age groups um, through the journeys under nines, um, through to then taking under eighteens. You know, um, all phases I've worked in, um, done skills coaching within it as well. So the technical aspects again. Um, but yeah, so for me, I've I've very much coached at every level, uh, which I think has been really good for my my learning. Um, nowadays, a lot of coaches will come in, have only coached certain age groups. Um, and yeah, I, I always think that it's important to coach the whole spectrum because your skill sets, then you'll be able to vary depending on what age groups you're at um, mm. and have that in the locker, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of, yeah, in terms of the journey, I mean, when I, when I did start to be academy manager, um, the coaching definitely started to reduce. Um, which was a, a frustration of mine, but um, it is what it is. So, um, but yeah, it, it's been a challenging time. I've been came for four, four years now. So, yeah, there's a lot we could talk about on that on that sense. So just you know, just in terms of your your current role, then what, you know, would you mind just sharing a bit around what 
that looks like on a day to day and how in the role it plays, I guess, not just in player development but coach development as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is one of the main reasons why I wanted to be a academy manager, to be honest, because um, I very much came from the idea that as a as a coach, I can only affect the age group I'm working with, or or the phase I'm working with. I'm like a lead phase, but then as an academy manager, I, I can affect pretty much everybody. Um, so you're affecting the whole academy. So uh, if you have got your philosophy of a coach or whatever that might be, is that you're you're, you're part in that. You know, philosophy upon everybody else. You know, I'm not saying you, whatever you want is 100% all yours. All I'm saying is that you have a greater control over a large amount of players and rather than just being that individual coach, that individual age group um, as part of a system, because um, that's what that is. So, yeah, so that's, that's, that's one of the reasons why the academy management role was, was a big one for me, um, to have a greater impact and really make sure that players um, enjoyed their football. Um, so we talk about past experiences and stuff that, you know, you might have had not such enjoyable experience at some clubs. Um, you know, the ones I mentioned before, obviously I enjoyed, I enjoyed my time there, no problems at all. I loved it. But yeah, you had experiences elsewhere, weren't too good. You had bad coaches, you know what I mean? That, you know, made you feel a certain way, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, I wanted to eradicate those type of coaches and just make sure our environment was a positive learning one. Mm. Um, and that's where I come from. And that's what I try to impart on the academy. Um, Definitely, yeah. and I can really resonate with you know what you're saying there in terms of having that career impact. You know, so one of the things I do, I guess, outside of this and the coach mm-hmm. myself, um, I deliver I deliver courses for the FA as well, in, you know, level ones, level twos, and stuff like that. Yeah, and you know, from, people ask me, well, what, you know, why have you gone into tutoring? Why are you not, why are you not focusing on the coaching as well? Mm-hmm. Similar to what you said, I can have a greater impact as a coach, coach educator. Yeah, you know, I can I can have a group of sixteen players and work with them or I can work with potentially 16 coaches who have 16 players each yeah um, you know it, it, the possibilities are you know endless in that respect so, you know just to kind of talk you, you mentioned the word there about philosophy you know having having a philosophy as a coach and you know ultimately you want to have a greater impact in your, your environment what is your philosophy and how do you feel I guess yeah. should look in that environment yeah, for sure. So, are you talking from a coaching perspective or from a academy manager perspective? Um, both. Both. Okay, no problem. Um, yeah, for, well, I guess if I start from a academy manager perspective, then, I mean, it's, it's really the job, really, end of the day, is that, you know, I'm a leader. Um, that's what I need to be. Um, I'm, a, I'm a performance manager. And then alongside that, I'm a, end of the day, I'm a coach slash mentor to, to my staff, you know, because end of the day, I have to manage through my staff that ultimately the staff then affect the players. Um, so, it's important that I, I yeah, work with the staff and, from a leadership perspective, um, I guess it's important that I provide the purpose um, and, and the understanding of why we're doing what we're doing um, to, to motivate, you know, all those, all the staff that's in, within our academy. I guess the challenge is, is bringing everyone together to achieve that vision, um, you know, and work in a certain way, really. Um, and, and I really do go after the values and culture, um, you know, which, which are really important to me. And we, we say in terms of values, we talk about wiser. Uh, we talk about a work work ethic, um, integrity, um, having solutions, so having, you know solving problems, um, and then that enjoyment factor as a staff and and, and an environment, um, and then really a responsibility. You know, everyone taking responsibility for yourself. You know, I think when things go wrong, you got to look at yourself first, and um, so that's very much my values perspective. We go after you know a thing called wiser, um, and then like everything in terms of culture. Um, there's three things we go after. Um, we got it from the AYA actually: um, safety, learning, and respect. I think if you're affecting those, 
then then there's a problem, uh, and I think yeah, then you have to address it uh, as a culture. So, yeah, very much driving a vision, um, values and culture is what I'd say is a part of a not say a philosophy, but in my role, um, it's important that those those align and that everyone fits into it. Mm. Yeah, and obviously, no one is going to go into the philosophy part there, but I just want to you know probe on what you just said there around you know your role and you know the word that you used there a couple of times around leader and leadership and. And I just wanted to maybe get a bit of a bit of insight around what your role has taught you about leading others. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, it's it's yeah, it's been a I guess along the way. It's, it's like I said, you know, I'm young in the game in terms of an academy manager, um, and you're forever learning uh, on the journey. And you know, for me, it's 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 like I said there. You know, you have to set your visions, um, the bigger picture, um, but then also within it, you've got a performance manage. And you've got to manage your staff, you know, and you've got to drive the standards, um, you know, in terms of making sure like, you know, job descriptions, contracts are all, you know, timetables are in place and that the staff are aware of this, you know, and that they, they, they know their KPIs and that they, you know, try to deliver on those, um, you know, constantly having meetings throughout the year with them um, and reviewing their sort of performance reviews um, and then, you know, really, really going after driving the standards and making sure that they are doing the best that they can be and be the best that they can be. And then alongside that is then obviously the coaching mentoring side, you know, um, it's important that as staff, we, I have to be a mentor and I have to develop the staff and through development action plans and really giving them what they need to, to develop, you know, and that takes detail, that takes time. Um, you know, whereas, you know, lucky for I must work at Chatham Town, we're category three academy, not have abundance of money. Um, so I can't necessarily go out and headhunt staff and pay them good wages to come and join our academy. You know, I'm, you know, I'm blessed with what I've got in the academy, but I do have to work with what I've got in the area, you know. Um, so I have to really, you talk about developing players, I have to develop staff, and um, that, that is the same right as these players, you know, they, have, they need development action plans and so do staff, you know, so it's the same sort of thing. Um, and it's important that you do develop that, you know. Um, but yeah, from a, from a leadership perspective, I mean, wow, you know, one size is not fit all. <laughs> you know, you talk about little yeah. slogans, you know what I mean? It's, you know, every individual is different and, and you need to know how to get the best out of every individual, really. Um, and, you know, you'd know that from a, from a football perspective and as a coach educator, you know, everyone is different. Um, just, just on yeah, that, on. You, know, you talk there about that one size fits all approach definitely something that doesn't work in this yeah. industry yeah. Um, or in any industry I don't, I don't think in terms of when you're leading others because everyone does have their own you know intricacies and personalities and things that you have to consider within yeah. that have you got any situations that you've faced as an academy manager in the last few years that you've felt Do you know what I didn't quite deal with that appropriately but you've really taken away some key learning from that situation um not rather, you, rather you didn't handle it appropriately, but maybe it didn't go as as well as you would have liked. Rather, yeah, for sure. I mean, I can't can't think of a specific example because there's probably many. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, in, in in a sense that so much things happen day to day. Um, I think I think the important thing is that what I do is I, I reflect on of those difficult conversations or difficult moments um, and really analyze that. I mean. I'm just thinking of an example of, you know, you know, improving coaches' behaviour, for example. Um, people usually say, or some people say, well, 
if they mess up like or they do something wrong that's so bad that they you know get them at the door straight away and like well done like you have a duty of care of, of, of obviously developing somebody you know um so for me my learning is i think getting the balance right between giving someone time to develop but at the same time you can't be too long you know what i mean you've got a somebody's got a click at some point um especially from a yeah, I'll say a negative perspective as of like a cultural behaviour or something that you're addressing, which then goes down the lines of obviously disciplinaries, et cetera. But yeah, I'm very much of a mindset that I would help anybody. Um, I want to help everybody. Um, but yeah, it's drawing that line. I think that's where, yeah, my learning has been over the years. Definitely. And obviously, what you, you know, we were going to talk about your philosophy a little bit then. I hope everyone's just sharing a bit around what you think youth development should look like then. Yeah, wow, yeah, this this has definitely evolved over the years. Um, you know, I've really been a bunch of big fan of the uh, the, the Ajax way and the Barcelona way. I was growing up as a kid, and that you know, it was from a Barcelona perspective, tick attack of football, and um, you know, you picture that. I think that's what what I was about. That's what I wanted, you know, and I wanted them my players, and that's how I coached. And I very why was that? Say again. Why was that? Why was that? I think because obviously growing up and who I was as a player, I was very much a player that. You know, I wanted a lot of ball, so <laughs> the only way you can get a lot of ball is by people passing the ball a bit more than just dribbling with it type of thing. But um, it, it, I think it's attractive to the eye. Um, um, you know, um, it, there are extremes of just keeping the ball for sake of it, but at the same time, there's that, yeah, that that, that dictatorship of dictating the possession, you know what I mean? Controlling the ball. Um, I'd rather have the ball than be running after the ball, put it that way. And um, I think that's, that that rubs off of me as a as a player, and then also rubs off me as into my coaching. Um, but what but what I learned over the years was, yeah, tick attack, going in, pass and move, pass and move, and all this sort of stuff. Is that when you're working in academies, um, depending what level of academy you're at, obviously, because you know players do dictate really what style of football you probably can play. Um, mm. Is that it is is it right for the player development to always be passing the ball, for example? You know what I mean? So you know. People have to be able to be able to dribble with it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's that balance in academy football for me um, is where I'm at, at the moment. And you, know, you touched on there about you know the players almost dictating what the style of play should look like. Mm-hmm. How much you know in your role now, looking at as, as an academy manager, how much of your your philosophy in the academy is dictated by what happens in the first team? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, for for us, it's the play. We, we have a player centered approach. Um, that's where we come from, first of all. So. It's about what players on the pitch, and then that dictates the formation um, all the way through the system. So from under nine to under eighteens, and you know that has its challenges in its own right. Um, but like I said before, in terms of the the the, the I guess well the categorization of category one, category three, for example, um, if very much our boys in our area, you know, we do get one or two technical players who are very technical, and you know they do complement the team. But the rest of the team might be made up of not so technical players you know just because of what because those players are usually at cat ones or cat twos for example mm. so so we have to make the best of what we've got and um we very much play a bit more of a mixed style of football you know um obviously you know with team drop off yeah you keep the ball if they come after you then you might have to go a bit longer because because of the pressure that they're coming with that you might not be able to pass it around them all the time you know that's yeah. the thing so it's, it's, and, I, it's and i totally agree with that because yeah. i think you know one of the things I always say to coaches and players, you know, when it comes to, I guess, a playing philosophy, I, I often say that I don't really have a playing philosophy. I play what's right at the time. Yeah. yeah. If it's on, 
go to you know to to keep on to keep on to it, maintain possession in order to maybe tease an opponent out out, out of you know out yeah. of position or whatever. Do that if it's on to go in behind then. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. The space is there, isn't it? So, <laughs> not a problem. With, yeah, you exploit the space. I mean, I mean, listen, I mean, even with the ticker tacker type thing, they exploit the space in behind as well, don't they? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Just, and I looks... think a lot of people overlook that Correct. aspect. Of, yeah, they do maintain possession very well, but I guarantee you one thing is if there's space in behind, they're oh, going to hit it. Yeah, 100%. 100% doing that. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's I wouldn't say it's easier, but if you have got a, a team full of technical, highly technical players, Mm. You can play that real controlled football um, type of game, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, so today, so Jay, going back to your point there, for me, it's just a, it's a mixed football at the moment. That is where I am in terms of our philosophy. Um, probably because of where I am in terms of academy at Cheltenham Town Football Club. You know, if I went to a Man City as a coach, it would probably mm. be different. For example, but you know, it's just because you're working with different players. You know, you have to. For me, it's getting the best out of the players you've got. You know, uh, and, and making them the best player they can be. You know, because um, they they've got to play to their strengths. At the end of the day, and if their strength isn't um naturally technically gifted, then you know what is it? <laughs> you know, and you just got to help them in that sense. What so? What, what are your thoughts on the idea that in the academies in particular, there there seems to be this common or consistent theme of, I guess, players or teams rather trying to maintain position, play out from the back, and all of that sort of stuff. How much do you think that's actually benefiting uh, all the players? You know. You've touched on it there yourself. You know that you've got a bit more of a mixed style approach, but um, initially stating that you know, in an ideal world, you would like your team to play in that sort of particular way. But obviously, the players dictate what they, how far you can maybe get across with that. If that makes sense, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, listen, we play against a lot of Category One sides. Um, you know, we we go to there, we know what to expect. Um, I think isn't that an issue in, in I, itself? In in in, in, in that. You've already, you know, conceded. Yeah, we know what we're gonna, see. we know what we're gonna get. Not just in terms of quality, but maybe even just yeah. how they're gonna play. And it's not gonna be, obviously, they're gonna have little intricacies and variables amongst the different teams that you come up against. But ultimately, if they, you know, uh, would you agree that there seems to be a fairly consistent style of play? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, listen, category ones they vary from club to club. You know, let's don't put everyone in the same same bracket. Yeah. They are different, but in in the majority are you know are similar, but. Yeah, the the, the the type of football is great. Again, easy on the eye. Um, I just I just know from a county match perspective, we get a lot of boys who get released from Category 1 clubs and they come into our environment to try and get a scholarship or, um, you know, we'll try and get an academy, etc. And mm. they only know one way of playing. That's my point, and, yeah. And, and, and if you look at all the academies across the country, like, the 1% or less than 1% will go on to play elite level and play in the premiership and championship and play that style of football. But then what about the rest of the kids? You know, and, and a lot of them, and people talk about kids dropping out of the game. So many kids dropping out of the game. And like, why is that? Because they're not equipped for, exactly. they're not equipped for, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just saying league two, league one or whatever, or definitely not non-league because you can still make a living in non-league. And the amount of boys you say, hold on, I used to be at so-and-so top one category one academy. And I'm not, I'm not even playing or I can't even get into a step five team in non-league that type of thing. You're thinking, what's going on here? That, something's gone wrong there, surely. <laughs> Definitely. You, you, you obviously have a level of ability at the time. And um, yeah, I just, I just question the mixed football. I mean, listen, I, I guess if you put my academy management hat on, you probably say the 1% or the, the, the less than 1% is where you, the academy makes its money. It gets its height. It gets its limelight. It's, you know, it's doing good things, you know, because then boys are getting through. 
but it's the duty of care the others are just it's, it's the balancing act isn't it and I, and mm. I guess you don't know unless you're in that position of leading that that category club <laughs> you know the pressure that are on you and what you've got to do and deliver you know what I mean so one thing probably takes a priority over the other and yeah it seems to be that it is you know for the for the for the smaller percentage which is you know it is what it is <laughs> definitely you know, just kind of coming back to your own journey then, yeah you, you talk there about you meant you, you mentioned the name of ted dale and you know i'm sure he's one of many people that have maybe had an influence in your journey throughout um and some of the key things that you've picked up along the way but could you maybe think of any particular individual that's been a major influence in your journey and you know what what maybe you one of the biggest lessons you took from them. Yeah. They, oh, wow. Yeah. They, they, there was um, many. Yeah, there was many. <laughs> I've, had, I've, had, I've had many things for us over the years. Um, well, I, let, let I, I couldn't narrow I couldn't, it down. Yeah, go on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I say, I, yeah. I, I, for let's me, naming, naming, naming one or two yeah. is probably disrespectful, How really. About if you had to think back now about a particular moment where it was a real light bulb moment and you know, what was this, you know, the instigator for that situation? You know, was there a particular thing that someone said to you? Was it something that you particularly saw and then maybe it reflected yeah. back later? You know, there's a standout moment or two in your journey where you thought, you know, that was a pivotal moment in my career. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think, I think just talking now, I mean, I kind of go back <laughs> probably recent years, as they say, but um, probably three key individuals um, in the sense that I had obviously a coach mentor in Mark Neville in terms of our FAYCE. Um, at the time, it wasn't common for us to be recorded as coaches. Mm. Um, and that came into play, really. Um, so then, obviously, when you're coaching, you know, you think you who you are who you are, you know, you know, you love yourself. Yeah, I'm really good at this and that. <laughs> and then they put a camera on you. And then you look it back and you go, oh, wow, is that me? <laughs> you know, and you see things that you thought, oh, okay, like, I thought I didn't do that, but I do do that, you know, and you, you then evolve as a coach from that, you know, and I think that if I could ever say to coaches is get yourself recorded, you know, as often as you can, because wow, it does open you up to your behaviors, um, your, your coaching positions, you know, what you're saying, how long you're talking for, you know, it really does open you up. And um, yeah, that was a massive turning point in my coaching um, qualities, as they say. Uh, on the grass um, from that moment onwards for me. Um, in terms of another one, um, again, it was many, many, and I, I feel bad naming names, but, it, you know, I'm just thinking of some key, key outstanding ones. I mean, you know, Gary Johnson, um, he, he, he's obviously a non-league manager, not non-league manager, sorry, he's been a, a football league manager for years. Um, he took you over a lot, obviously, to the championship as, as well as managing at Bristol City as well, and just missing out on the, the golden ticket to the Premier League. And, um, yeah, he he was the man who sort of gave me who gave me the job as a academy manager. Um, you know, I was I'm grateful for him, and you know, he believed in me to give me that job. You know, and uh, all those daily meetings and those weekly sort of meetings we had, and you know, talking football and being around him and stuff. You know, and how he managed the staff and how he managed me. You know, I think made me a stronger individual. Um, in the sense that, you know, I wouldn't say he's an old school person, but he is obviously from a certain generation, so. You, that sort of rubs off on you a little bit and um yeah that that helped me in sort of that avenue and and, and understand the game from a from a manager's perspective as well yeah. uh, which has helped and and even more so recently now you know um we've got a new manager uh in michael duff 
um, ex-Burnley captain, uh, Premier League player for many years, played up, played for all the levels. And he's just come in and just given us some, especially me anyway, he's given me some real simple ways of simplifying the football and the football game. And, you know, you're talking about elite level here. <laughs> and you're thinking it should be harder, isn't it? No. <laughs> it's actually more simple than you think, like, you know. And um, he's really helped us as an academy to, to see that. And, um, yeah, I think the future's bright for us. Um, we haven't imagined that we've got at the moment. So, yeah. What would you say has helped you to... Obviously, you know, you sat down and with the academy manager that really started that journey and said, you know, I want to do what you're doing, essentially. And, you know, that was your one of your goals to kind of maybe hit. But what's helped to keep you inspired and, you know, keep motivated to kind of be your best and push towards that and keep pushing through, you know, after you've been in the club for 16 years now? Um, so it'd be nice. Or, it'd be my... Go on. Yeah, it's yeah, just my 14th season. 14 yeah, years? Yeah. Uh, with the last four... Blimey, that's a long three. time. <laughs> yeah, going back 14 years now. Yeah. Um, last four as an academy manager. Long journey at, at one particular club. Um, what's helped you keep going? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's funny because uh, I recently watched that Michael Jordan... Um, last dance uh, yeah. series and um, I just noted about his mentality of just just finding little things to keep him motivated and um, yeah I'll be honest that's just always been me I've just I've just, just any little thing just inspires me you know and um, I tried to find those things and um, I guess there's two two sides to it, I think so there's one that I have a Northern Star so I have a, a bigger goal I had that bigger goal again so once when I got my Cali manager's role, um, that was my goal to get that. That was my big goal. I got that. Then I, for probably about a year, I was very much struggling to find my next goal. Like, what mm. is it I want to do? Like, where do I move on from here? Um, but then I found I found it now. Uh, you know, for me, and it's, it's, it's I would like to be a national director. Um, you know, or you know, academy academy one academy manager. You know, category one. Sorry, academy manager. Um, so they're they're the two things that are sort of my. You, you know what I mean? Just out there, you know? That's what I want to get yeah. to, you know? It's going to be a challenge, don't get me wrong, but I want to get to that, you know? Well, listen, man, you put it out there, you know, the, the positive energy will you know, bring it back to you. Correct, so... And I, and out there in the universe, yeah, man. Yeah, correct. And, it, and it's worked for me in the past, and and I, and I hope to think, hopefully it works for me again, you know? And, you know, in terms of years of football, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm 33 years old. I mean, probably one of the youngest caddy managers in the country, and, yeah, like I said, not one of the BME, not many of those around in terms of leading, leading the academy. So mm-hmm. it's it's a case of, for me, being patient and setting that realistic goal. So I've said to myself, like, within 15 years, I want to be at the, that level. And, you know, all the all what I do now is preparing me for that level. Um, so, yeah, I've got that path. I've got that, my development path that I've done myself and, Lucky enough for the Premier League, we, we've been on the Elite Academy Managers Programme and mm-hmm. um, I've got a mentor through that and she's really helped me through that as well. So, yeah, I'm really on my path now. And listen, it's a rocky road. There's going to be setbacks and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, you know, you've got to see past all that and you've got to see what your goal is, you know. Um, Definitely. You know, alongside that, I've got a new, which is new to me, actually, um, a director of football specifically. Um, I was very much directly with the board before. Um, but I've now got that middle person who who links the club in terms of a first team board and the academy. Um, yeah, is Michael Moore, and um, he's come, he's come in now, and you know he's got his objectives and what he wants to achieve for the club. And I think that added pressure now has been really good for me. Um, yeah. 
you know, some some might not respond well to the pressure, but I think it's what I needed in my life at this point now because now I have somebody who who really wants to check and challenge me. Um, you know, wants to say, why is that we're doing that? Why are they doing this? Why are we doing this? And, you know, picking up all the little things and just really trying to motivate myself. Um, I can give you an example. <laughs> he, um, he, came, he came in one, once and um, he said about our office not being too tidy and stuff. And, and I said, well, the environment of our office, um, run down office. Yes, as you do. You know what I mean? Working at Dagby Free, not much money. And and I, and I was like, you know, yeah, you're right. You know, we are in a, a mentality of, you know, it is what it is at the moment. And um, so I said, if we can improve it, then then we can probably get, I can keep it clean, basically. And um, so then he went away, done his magic, and then managed to get us, you know, got it sort of revamped, really, our offices. So I was like, oh, bloody hell. So he's he delivered on that. That means I got to deliver. You know, yeah. so, so I then, then now, obviously, I've, well, I've delivered, but our, our, our environment is immaculate. You know, so it's like little things like that. You know, someone comes to you about certain things and you just, yeah, I love that. You know, it just involves me as a person and, and I'm thankful that he's around really. So it's, yeah, it's good. And just talk, you know, just talking to that, you know, what, what's that like? Because obviously you're used to maybe managing the people below you, but obviously now you're looking at a different aspect where you're almost having to manage upwards as well. Yeah. Um, what's what's that like for you? Yeah, that's... Do you think that you've taken away from that? Yeah, massive. Wow. Um yeah, that that is the as an academy manager, you know, so you have to manage um, down and up, and up up is the is the challenging one, uh, no doubt about it. And I think what you have to figure out is quite quickly is the motive motives of everybody. Um, what is it that they want, um, and and does that align with what you're doing? And, and if so, then you have to use that as your leverage really to to try and get the things you want or, or please them at the same time, you know, cause then today you've got to stay in a job, you know, or you want to, you want to be make yourself look like you've done a good job, you know? So you very much, you need to understand every one of those individuals that is that you, that I call them stakeholders um, that you have to network with. You have to build relationships with uh, mm. and, and, and be able to talk to them uh, on their level. Cause a lot of these people are, you know, they manage their own businesses um, you know, they're, they're, they're directors themselves and it's, it's that they're no different to your 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 staff, you know, that are technically below you in terms of up and down, you know what I mean? You're, you're, you're managing, they're no different, they're human beings. You just, know, you, just need to know how, you just need to know how to connect with them on their level and talk their language. And, you know, I'll be honest, their language is usually money <laughs> in terms of what can you, what can we generate? Um, two is then obviously for me is players and developing players and making sure they're in the right environment um, and, and then also making the club look good you know because that's what they're in it for isn't it they're part of the club so they want it to look be represented well so it's aligning all those things and, and being able to yeah really connect with them that, that, that is a key one and it's not, it's not easy it's not easy um, because you can sit in meetings and you can just because of the the position they're in um, feel a bit lower, lower, lower class. You want to say it, that sort of thing, you know, in the sense that they're, they're hiding you or whatever. Actually, when you look, strip it all back, they're just a human being, and you just need to talk to them. <laughs> Definitely, you know? yeah. To answer, you know, you talked there about your journey and you know being there for twelve years. Um, you know, starting off 
initially as a part-time coach and now working your way up to academy manager now you know one of the few academy managers coming from uh, a BAME background in particular but you know more specifically you know you are a black coach or, or a coach that happens to be black and you know I wouldn't mind if you just share and you know speak to some of your experiences coming through as a black coach and whether you faced any obstacles that you felt were specifically put in front of you because of your race yeah yeah for sure um I mean, it's a good good question actually <laughs> i guess the, the main thing is how long do we have <laughs> um you know i guess first of all i think if you look at the workplace um i guess honestly considering the demographic of the club uh, that i work at you know which is large, large percentage being obviously white um i feel i've not experienced any racism um and, and my race has has not prevented me uh, getting to the position i am today um i truly feel i got here through sort of hard work and uh, doing a good job. Um, you know, what I will say on that is I, I was very conscious that people would um, have a sort of stereotype of me, um, you know, because I was black, um, you know, so I made the decision to defy that sort of stereotype. And, uh, you know, a little example I can only give is, you know, making sure I turn up on time, you know, <laughs> for everything and little things like that. And yeah, I think for me over time, I think, you know, I like to think people, you know, you know, whatever stereotypes they might have had of um, of a black person, um, you know, they, they might have a slightly different one uh, through through experiencing myself um, in that mm. environment. Um, I guess in 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 the working world, I think I think it's like I said, this is it could be in football, it could be where I am now, it could be anywhere really. But I think the term banter um, is one that's very controversial for me at times. Mm. Um, you know, I think you know, you know what what people sometimes say. You know, could quite easily be seen as as racism, um, and there is a fine line which some are happy to cross uh, one too many times, in my opinion. Um, and over my years, I, you know, I look at it and I think maybe you know, because I had a long term goal, um, I was definitely, I, de I definitely developed like a, a thick skin, as you'd say. Um, and didn't act, you know, at times because, you know, I didn't want to affect my, um, you know, my life's ambition really, um, you know, to become a caddy manager. Because, you know, once you do, sometimes you feel like once you do raise something, you know, um, it could prevent you from getting somewhere, you know. And I think you, you sometimes have that choice to make, you know, is it too bad that you can't stand it and you've got to raise it? Or is it, you know, you let one or two things slide to make sure you get where you get to, you know. Um, so that for me is a banter one. Um, that, yeah, I mean, that, just on that though, yeah. you know, you, you speak there about banter, and obviously, you know, I, I totally understand where you come because I've, you know, I've been in situations where, even for myself, where people, you know, say certain things, and, you, and they, they maybe are too naive or ignorant to understand that actually it's quite offensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, sometimes it's in, you know, not even to make excuse, but sometimes it's not even Ill, it's not even ill intended on their part. They're just they're genuinely just so unaware. Yeah. oblivious to it um and you know you talked there about you know stereotypes and you know doing little things even just you know just being on time you know you know and the stereotype i'm assuming you're referring to is that you know they say that you know black people tend to be late yeah yeah um, <laughs> but do, do, you, do you not even think even just having those stereotypes there is you know it's just, it's just unfair and it should be considered in that way anyway i mean you know i was having a conversation recently with someone about applying for a job and you know, he he was he wanted to make it clear in his application that he was a be you know a, key, a coach from a black community. Yeah. And you know, my my response was, well, why why should that matter? Yeah. 
at the end of the day, they, they, if they want the best person for the job, they should be looking at who's got the best CV and the most appropriate skills for that role, whether you're black, green, pink, whatever you are. Yeah. So, do, do, I mean, do you ever feel the pressures of having to maybe, you know, obviously touch there, obviously that stereotypes and stuff like that, but has there ever been any other situations where you've actually feel you had to almost show show a blind you know to show a blind eye to certain certain things or conform in certain ways just to kind of get yourself further up the ladder. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think I think I do think a lot of people are probably well black let's face it, a lot of black people are faced and put in those positions where those situations do arise. Um mm. without going into detail, but they they do arise and we have a choice to make. And you know, sometimes you have enough and you say what you gotta say, you know. Um and then sometimes, you know, you, you do have to let it slide. You know, I, I can only, I can only sort of go back to, I guess, my background really, um, you know, where, you know, I've experienced racism outside of, you know, of football uh, and well in football in terms of matches and playing and, you know, and watching, um, you know, very much outside of that environment as well. You know, I mean, listen, I grew up in, in Surrey, as I said, just outside of South London there, um, you know, going to school where you could count the amount of black people in, in my school on one hand, you know, um, I think in that environment, you know, you learn to deal with racism, you know, um, you know, in my youth, you know, I very much acted, you know, physically um, to racism at times, you know, but I guess as you mature over time, you know, the experience sort of taught me how to uh, act um, in, a, in a correct way, really, and have the confidence to say enough is enough, you know, uh, and challenge others verbally. You know, rather than a physical reaction, because I think you know you can be very articulate in your words to to challenge people, and like you said before, you know in, they're uneducated but or naive, but you can educate them and just say, mm. Listen, you know, this is not quite right. You know, um, interestingly, you know, speaking with my parents about the matter as well, you know, with this Black Lives Matter, you know, that's what's been going on for a while now with obviously George Floyd, and you know, my you know my parents are they're strict, you know, cultured Jamaican parents, you know, who, who ensured I. So I understood my my black British culture and my black Jamaican culture, you know. So I, I very much understand the both and, and and the blend of the two as well. And you know, listen, I, I travel to Jamaica every year, and it's a it's a country and island I love, you know. And you know, God, we could all, we could do with a, a bit of sun and sea right now, you mm. know what I mean? <laughs> you know, um, but it's one of those. But yeah, you know, I, I moved out of London, you know, purposely. I, my parents, so so they said to me, you know, to to experience being the minority. You know, to allow me to have the tools to to navigate through the world in terms of what it is, you know, because, you know, li well, I think growing up in London, I think, you know, there definitely is probably, you know, the, the, not, not I mean, the percentage of blacks are higher. Not of when course. You move, when you move out and then you move into the working world, you, you currently see the, the, the percentage of blacks are lower, you know, and, and I think it's that challenge of being in that environment of, you know, you being you know, one, one in a hundred, you know, yeah. workers, you know. Just on that then, you know, yeah. you, you talk there about, you know, being brought up on the, you know, the outskirts of London, you know, essentially, you know, some people probably still class that part of Epsom and whatnot yeah. as like, really. Um, but, uh, let's, let's be honest, you know, the, 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 there's a lot of people in London and, the, you know, the, I guess if you look at the, you know, the black and ethnic yeah. in London, they're very much, in, from my, in my opinion, um, there's a there's there's a difference between the people in London and people out, outside of it. Yeah. Uh, did you ever feel that growing up in London and then moving out, you had a, even more pressure and, and and you know additional stereotypes attached to you when you were moved, you know, when you came out of that environment? Oh wow, hundred percent, hundred percent. Especially coming from you know, that that you know that part of London, you know, in that yeah. South London area, and and 
you know, what kind of challenges that face for you? And you know, was anyone ever vocal about the potential stereotypes they had of you or perceptions that were preconceived ideas that, of who you might be? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, wow. Standard ones. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, yeah. I'm a black person, you know, um, growing up as a youth, people asking me, have you got any drugs and all this nonsense? And you're like, no. <laughs> I'm, yeah. not that, I'm not that person. Like, what the hell? Like, what's going on here? You know, and I think I very much had to fight that off. Um, people alpha male rubbish you know because i am a black person they probably see me i don't know like i'm a threat um just, want... just to pause you there for a second i want to take you back to that first part you talk about the, you know, the 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 bit about the drugs and stuff yeah. like just talk me through that you know i just i just really want you know because i know a lot of people from that community and i've got a lot of friends from that community who've probably been through similar things to you in that respect yeah but, you know, just for kind of maybe the listeners to maybe really get a bit of a deeper insight around what the actual experience is like for you as an individual going through that you know, would you mind just talking to maybe, you know, or giving more specific examples and maybe talking to actually how you, you felt in the moments, if you can recall at all, um, and what your thought process is around it right now? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I remember when, you know, you, you're walking down the street and, you know, you might be a group of your mates and you know, happen to be, you know, white mates as well. And you're walking in, you know, you're, you're the first person that people will turn to. Um, you know, I, I can only go back to, again, you talk about the police stuff as well. Um, you know, we was out with my mates and... Um, I think we was in a golf field, as you do as kids, you know, we come off the golf field, run a jump over the fence, running away. And then next week, now a police car pulls up. And I swear, I swear there's about six of us, you know, I'm the only black one there. And who does the, who does the policeman come to? <laughs> Me, we've had a report that so-and-so people have been in the area, blah, blah, blah. Happened to be my description. And, and I get, I get pulled over and I get taken in. <laughs> um, lucky enough, my friends would bring up, um, they would have been, they were my parents and they, I mean, my dad came straight down and, you know, got me out really. Um, and there was, you know, they had nothing, I didn't do anything wrong, but, you know, he just explained to me in the car on the way home and just said, listen, this, this, you know, this is what you're going to experience, you know, um, you know, and, you know, don't take it personally, but you just got to try and react in the right way, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, is what it is type of thing, you know, um, it's sad because, you know, for me, it was obviously your first time being arrested and you're thinking, oh my gosh, like, what the hell, you mm. know, um, but at least you've done nothing wrong as well, you know what I mean? So you're thinking like even top of that, and then you're thinking, well, actually, hold on, thinking about it, it's because of my you race. Start, you start to question it, yeah. whether, whether you haven't done anything wrong, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, and, and yeah, I listen to today, I still don't get why, well, obviously, I do know why, <laughs> but you just think so many stories you hear that people go through the same things, you know, and there's, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, it is worrying. And, you know, today, you know, has it changed? I think, I think, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure. And I, I think, I think it's just more out there in the social media. I think people can see it more. Um, you know, I think if I just bring it back to football again, I mean, I'm just trying to think of a, an incident that I, I sort of saw on Twitter and, and I, said, I followed it before and gave an example of um, someone who got a too much ban. Um, and was fined, I think, around 300 quid uh, for, in, for in, inappropriately on the bench. He was at Sutton mm. United um, goalkeeping, goalkeeper, wasn't it? He was yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, on, the, yeah. on the bench, yeah. And then, yeah. So then the FA obviously fined him two months ban and then the weight, you know, 300 quid. And then, then someone else now has sort of said an N word somewhere else. And, you know, they've got a nine much ban, which is basically under a month's worth of football, really, a month's worth ban. Yeah, yeah. And fined 100 quid. And you're thinking, hold on. Are you telling me <laughs> that eating a burger on the bench is more is seen as um, sort more of, offensive? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a higher, a higher sort of charge, and 
somebody's been a racist. Like, and that's for me where the problem lies. You know, I think, I just think people in higher power need to, to act and, 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 you know, put some serious sanctions in place for people who do, who are racist in the day, mm. you know, um, but yeah, I guess those are the examples that, yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know, just go, going through those situations yourself and obviously, you know, you talked there about that, that brief um, conversation that your father had with yourself. Yeah. As a parent now, you know, you, oh. you mentioned you've got three young kids. Yeah. What, what, what's that experience? Like, you know, how, you know, having to prepare your young children and, you know, for, for going into that sort of, uh, into that world and, you know, potentially being exposed to these sorts of situations, like the ones that you've been exposed to and many other, you know, yeah. black people from, uh, you know, from, from those communities have been exposed to. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think it's, it's interesting you say that. I mean, my first thought is I'm worried. <laughs> Um, mm. I'm worried for them and their journey through life. Um, and, and I guess that impacts on me and saying, well, you know, how can I change things in, in my own little way, in, in my own little bubble, you know? Um, but for me, I think at the moment, because they, they are all under four, um, it's a case of, listen, you, uh, in my opinion, you're taught these things. You're taught race. You're taught, you're taught differentiation 100%. between black and white and all that. And, you know, for me, I, I, I don't teach that. I don't teach that. Um, you know, I, I see all my friends are from all different backgrounds and cultures. So they are seeing a, an absolute mix <laughs> in my house, you know, and um, I think that's only healthy for them to see that um, visually. Um, you know, and I think what's nice as well is, you know, there's a lot of role model stuff now on TV and stuff, you know, around black people, um, you know, like the, the, black, the movie Black Panther, for example, you know, you don't see many, mm-hmm. you know, um, sort of stereo um, role models out there for these young kids, especially when I was growing up. I don't remember, I can't remember one, to be honest, but, you know, it's a case of seeing, you know, black people, black successes and um, just making them feel empowered, really. And I think that's out there now, which is nice, um, but it's just... Yeah, yeah, it's, and again, you look at media and the negative, the sort of narrative that they control and making it, you know, seem negative sometimes. I think, you know, it's trying to keep them mm. away from that, but then see the positive stuff, and you know, yeah, yeah. But you know, they're young at the moment, so I guess over time, definitely. And you, you talk there about racism being taught and all these these ideas and perceptions being taught. That definitely, you know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation with my missus the mm. other day, and she was just talking about, you know. Uh, when you know, when I was younger, I mean, I'm sure it was the case. You, you, you just wanted to yeah. play. You didn't care who it was with. You didn't care what they looked like. You just wanted yeah. to play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even when I, when I look at my my little one, you know, when she was, you know, I remember when she was in nursery three, four, she just wanted yeah. to play. Didn't care who she was playing with, what they looked like, what color they were, what what yeah. what the hair looked like, whatever. Well, she just wanted to play with them. And if they didn't want to play, they yeah. she'd be like, "Well, daddy, why don't they want to yeah. play?" Yeah. Um. You know, and for some of them, they already had their, you know, they had influences elsewhere to maybe stay away from certain types of people based on what they look like and, you know, or stay away from different types of people based on what they have and what they don't have. And, you know, it's it's quite sad when you think about it. And you're right, it is a scary thought sometimes when you think, right, you know, my kids have to grow up yeah. in this world. Um, and there's only so much you can do as a parent to kind of shield them and protect them away from these sorts yeah, of things. Definitely. But... You know, I think certainly, you know, if we look back at your journey now, you you moving out of London, taking that step to be, I guess, putting yourself really in an uncomfortable situation, potentially where you were even less of a minority um, or even more of a minority, shall I say, um, to kind of step outside of that and, you know, almost experience that firsthand. Mm -hmm. And just kind of build on that then, you know, what would your advice be to those coaches 
who are from, uh, you know, an underrepresented, insignificant, insignificant more, more specifically, a black community, yeah. um, in coming through, and you know, maybe if you could speak to maybe giving some advice to maybe those who are not from those communities, just to kind of some words around how they can maybe just be a bit more open and understanding to the different cultural differences that may occur in the environment yeah i think that's that that is that is the key one you know that it is different cultures you know and you talk about culture but there's you know it depends what category you want to put every, every culture into you know i mean you know, it's a football culture you know there's a there's a white culture there's a black culture there's a you know a jamaican culture there's a Ghanaian culture you know what i mean but it's i think when you when when you mix and you go into these environments i think you just have to be very conscious that people are brought up in a certain way and and uh and you know and speak and 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 who they are as, as people and things come across maybe sometimes like you said because your your culture is different or you might interpret it a little bit different but it's not for, for one just sort of how do i put it just not like um uh sort of disowning that person and saying right i don't want to be with them or, or be around them anymore is he saying oh okay they're saying these things but ask the question why you know and and have that conversation you know and you know you might find that person that's actually generally is a racist or because you have confronted them and asked the question they might just say you know what sorry i didn't realize uh, you know i, I, mm. I apologize you know um and and yeah so you get those moments and i think i've had them over the time as well you know well i didn't really i didn't see it come come across like that well yeah it does <laughs> and i appreciate you didn't say that again yeah. you know and, and they don't you know and i think that's i think that's how you have to sort of be just conscious that yeah you go into different environments different you know different cultures it's, it's you know, things will be different to the norm you know and um you know that's what that's how i feel just because of my background i think i just i guess i appreciate different cultures really um and just different environments and i think it's allowing me to be a bit more comfortable um, in different environments as well but but again through experience is picking the right moment to challenge um uh, you know, those, those those issues that might arise mm. And, you know, just obviously, you know, for any coaches out there that might be work well, certainly would be loads yeah. of them anyway, working with, co- working with players from these sorts of backgrounds, what would you be, what would be your advice for oh, them? Well, that's, that's, the... <laughs> I think, I think, yeah, I think you've got to be, you know, for, I mean, I flip it on myself, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm the, I'm a academy manager and, and a leader, you know, and, and there is pressure on me to be a role model you know, um, to many black people, you know, especially my family and friends. And I think, you know, every day I have to show them, you know, who I am and who I am as a person, you know, because I represent black people. And I think as as a coach and you've got these players in your environment that you, you, you know, you have to be a leader and you have to not do as I say, but you've got, you got to act in a certain way yourself, you know what I mean? And you have to set an example. And I think it starts from you and, if you set the right example, then hopefully they will pick up on that. And then, you know, if do things do situations do arise, support them. You know, you have to support them. And you know, listen, none of us want them to go through it. Of course we don't. But when they do go through it, it's not probably a bad thing, especially for the younger ones, because the reality is they're going to get that through their life. And I think, and I think mm. them experiencing it at a young age, you know, again, it's not nice. I, I get this, but it's just a case. It's, it's an opportunity to support and and build up their tolerance or you know give them some skills to be able to tackle it in a different way to what they might currently do which you know I, as i said to you before i felt you know the physical element come first because just because of the fire in the belly and the body and 
that frustration, you know, comes out, doesn't it? You know, as a, as a youngster, I think, and, and you lash out in different ways. Um, and I think it's a case of, okay, you know, keeping that in, but then verbally doing that through whatever means you feel necessary to, to get the, you know, the justice you, you feel you want. You know, kind of just coming back to your, the coaching outside of things now, you know, you've been coaching for 16, 16 or so years, you're still relatively young, as you put it. Yeah. You see, but you've seen a lot. Yes. Um, both in the academy game and probably outside of it too. What would you say is one of the biggest pet hates or bugbears when it comes to coaching? You know, that you, you know, if you see another coach or you've seen consistently behaviors of other coaches and it just kind of make you know, almost, or go as far as saying making you cringe or frustrate you when you see it. The one that one is affecting the players, so enjoyment. Um, I, I really do hate coaches that it's about them and not the players. Um, and and you see that often um, is that the fact that, like I said, back to stop, stand still, talk, 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 um, not a lot of football, um, negative in their feedback to players. Where's the positive? <laughs> You're telling me this player ain't good at anything. <laughs> you know, it's, it's those type of, yeah, I, I, that, that, that frustrates me. Um, be interested to know maybe what one of the biggest challenges you've had in your coaching journey and you know if it's something that you've been able to overcome you know how did you go about doing it and if it's not you know what are your plans to overcome it um, yeah I mean I think I think I think it's probably now to be honest <laughs> um, it's okay. been, in recent years it's been our biggest challenge um, moving from a moving from a or moving to a more player said player centred programme um, it has been a real big challenge for us um, as, as academy, but then also for the coaches, um, because as a coach, you know, week to week, you kind of probably like a little bit of winning every week. <laughs> you know, that yeah. constant, oh yeah, look at my team, you know, we're really good, blah, blah, blah. And for us, it was, we could go down that route and we do that in certain games, yes, but the majority of our games are very much just down to the players and what they need and and as a result, a lot of our boys will have a play, as they call, we say across age groups, but in terms of what you guys would see it as probably is, is, is up an age group, you know, or train up an age or play up an age. Um, and, and I guess on the younger age, it's quite common, not a problem. But then when it comes to our youth team, um, we very much, you know, as a first year or second year, if that, if that boy is ready for men's football, he's going to men's football. And, that has been our biggest challenge at the moment, that we've got quite a lot of lads that have been ready for men's football. And as a result, it then means our youth team's a bit younger. Um, so, for example, we might be under-17s uh, most of the time throughout the year. And in our league, it's under-19s. So you can have second years and third years in there sometimes. So from a physical perspective, that's a big gap. That's a two-year to a year gap. Um, and as you would know, if you're playing under-9s versus under-10s, that's challenging. You know, it's no different um, at that age. So... For us, it's, it's, it's finding that balance. And for me, it's managing the coaches, the staff, and the parents and the players and just managing that expectation that, you know, listen, the majority of time it's going to look like this. But when we come round to the games where it's like a performance game, it's the FA Youth Cup, it's League Cup or whatever the games we're targeting, is that we will put the boys in their own age groups. We will go for it and... And and and, and we do win games. <laughs> yeah. Because so for us, it works, but... It's just riding it out that bit uh, where, yeah, it's not so successful. Definitely, from, from I'm just wondering that then you've been talking about the parents as well, and, and sometimes that could be quite a challenge. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Quite a challenge in that you know the parents often don't see 
what it is that you're trying to achieve. And, you know, I think some of those challenges come from a perspective of, you know, if we take you right back to your coaching journey and what we talked about earlier, you know, a lot of it, it's, well, they haven't seen this type of coaching potentially. So they're going to question, they're going to question its worth and its value. And, you know, they're going to obviously form those opinions and, you know, based on their experiences and their, what they've been exposed to in the prior, prior situations themselves. Have you, have you faced, and I'm sure, and I'm not even have you, but would you mind sharing maybe an example? Obviously, you don't, you don't need to mention any names, of course. But sure. Of a situation where a parent has really uh, conflicted with the idea of how you guys want to work, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, and I'll be honest, it's, it's just education. It's education. It's bringing them in the building. Is 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 explaining mm. why. And I'd, I'd go back many years as a coach. Growing up as a coach, I'd very much want to go. Oh, you know what? Just just leave. Just go away. Just like, oh, no. take your boy with you. <laughs> you know? yeah, um, yeah. Especially if they were if they if they were struggling themselves. You know what I mean? Um, and I'll be honest. It's usually those sort of parents that usually pipe up. <laughs> you know, because when 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 their boy's doing well, it's no problem at all. Like they're your best friend. As, yeah. soon as, as soon as they ain't doing too well, that's when they start to question everything else. Again, it's that snowball thing. They're trying to put blame on others. You know, and that's why we have that as our value of our own responsibility. Actually, it's look at yourself. Look at what's got. Have you done all you can to be the best player that you can be? No. Okay, no problem. All right, let's work on it. But at least you know it's you, not just us. You know, <laughs> you know we play yeah. a part, yes. But um, yeah, I mean, getting the parents in, it's just a case of, yeah, so those examples, what I would do is, I hear the gripes, I hear the moans, they might email me, whatever. Uh, we'll bring them in, or I will bring them in, uh, sit down with them and just talk to them, say, go on in. <laughs> you know, what's, what's what's up? And then just, just educate them, show them the things, uh, give them examples, um, explain what we're doing. You know, we do that throughout the year anyway, but there's always one or two that haven't probably listened and you mm-hmm. have to sort of re-educate, you know what I mean? So, and like I said, it's usually the ones where their boys are probably struggling. Um, and, and I get it, you know what I mean? I get it. They're trying to fight. They're trying to find excuses to keep them in the environment, you know what I mean? And But sometimes it just, yeah, you, those moments there, you have to cons- consistently give the right feedback to the players. You know, it's got to be po- positive, you know, but critical at the same time um, and honest, you know, and it's got to be honest. And, that, and that's the thing over time. What we found is because we've been so honest over a period of time is that actually you get less of those issues. Yeah. Um, because because the parents less, already know the challenge, isn't there? Yeah, correct. Because they know you've been honest, so they've seen it already. Like you've seen, oh god, okay, and again this week, and again this week. You know what I mean? So the feedback's there. They they've got an expectation of where they they think their boys at, or where or where they think we think their boys at, and yeah. that's a good thing. But then when they come to us and come with all the arguments they like, but then long as we can back it up, it is what it is. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, listen, I haven't fallen out with parents as such over the years it's very been that's very much been difficult conversations yes um but i like to think as adults again i approach it in a, a humane way um and just you know it's bottom line is i'm not here to to fall out of you i'm here to be honest and um you know let's find a way you know and it's got at the end of the day it's got to be right for the player you know and, I think and, the, the highlight there is obviously for the parent they need to understand we're on this journey together correct um, you know, I'm only going to gain if you gain in this, and your gain is obviously seeing that player go through to the next stage of their journey, whether that be going from foundation phase to youth development phase or whatever that may be. Yeah. If they achieve that, they're getting what they want, and you're helping them, and that's getting what you want. Yeah. 
through your experiences, you know, over the last 16 years, you know, and obviously prior to that, you know, having some experience as a player to an extent, what would you say, you know, if we had, a, had an opportunity, we'd go back and speak to Antoine Thompson at the start of his coaching journey, knowing what you know now, what's one message you'd like to give yourself and what that you'd want to give yourself back then? Oof. Wow. Um, I wouldn't say one. <laughs> well, it'd be a couple, but yeah, what, 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 what would be the stand-up messages that you'd want to send back? Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, it's, it's definitely be um, that open book um, in terms of being a student of the game um, and really, really like watching football. And I mean top-level football. Um, and not watch it as a fan. And, mm. and 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 it's a, it's a cliche. People say it's on the course. Like, don't watch as a yeah. fan. Watch, watch the. You know, don't follow just, the ball. You know, watch just the... on that though, Antoine. You yeah, know, you talk there about not watching it as a fan. You know, there's a lot. Of, as you said, people mention that sort of phrase all the time. But yeah. for those that maybe don't quite understand what is meant by that, would you maybe just you know? Yeah, yeah. For you mind sure. just going into a bit more detail around what things you'd expect those people to maybe start to observe, you know, because you know, yes, that's 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 the key part. It's the observation, but the perspective that you're taking from it. So we could watch the same thing, and even if we're watching, looking out for the similar things, or we're both saying, oh, we're not going to watch it as fans, but yeah, equally you could also pick up something completely different to what I'm observing as well. Yeah, wow, yeah, definitely. I mean, again, this is more recent times for me. Like I'm going back, you know, if I had this trait now from back then when I was young, wow, well, I could be. I could be even better coach than what I am at this age now, you know what I mean? So for me, it's what I mean by don't watch it as a fan is 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 it's not follow the ball. Don't follow the ball. Like look away from the ball. Look at look at individual movements. You know, look at the players at the top, top level. Keep people keep saying, Oh, they're in space, they're in space, they're in space. Yeah, but if you watch it, don't watch the ball, you watch the players, you just look at their movement, you think, wow. You think wow, and then and then alongside that is then the 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 the, the all the other four corners. You know what I mean? The tech, the tack, the the physical. You know the battles that's going on off the ball. That what they're trying to overcome, and it's those moments that you say, okay, that's the top level football. That's what it looks like. What am I teaching my players then? Have they got those skill sets? Because it's a one v one game. If you look at it, you know what I mean. As in. You're always up against an opponent. It's like, how do you, you know, create that space? You know, how do you beat that person with your first touch or not? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's all these little elements, and it's like really focusing on the the one v one element um, and the unit element. You know, and I, I can only go to an example that our first team manager gave us recently from an out position perspective. You know, we talk about it, the back four when the ball goes. Um, uh, and it, so I don't know the ball's gone over our heads we then turn and run and go get it and then the ball goes up the pitch back up the pitch as a defender you've got to step up haven't you and as, as a travel of the ball so you're watching football you see the ball go up you don't see the defenders go up you think they might walk up or jog up but you watch elite football when that ball goes up those centre halves are sprinting sprinting and they're doing that for 90 minutes and you think wow you know, you, you know, as a fan, I never really saw that to that that in terms of intensity. But actually, when you watch it in terms of individuals, wow, you know, it's really powerful stuff. And it's just little things like that. And it's just, but yeah, if you don't watch the ball, wow, you see so much. Uh, mm. There is so much to see as well, by the way. So you have to have a bit of context in terms of what you're looking for and what specific things you want to watch. Um, but I would very much um, recommend that for for coaches. Definitely. You know, obviously. 
going back to the start of your journey there. I want to bring it back to the present day now. Yeah. You know, just to kind of maybe talk there about some of your goals earlier around becoming a Cat One Academy manager potentially and or mm-hmm. national director. But that's obviously maybe a long term goal and hopefully yes. sooner rather than later. But what's what do you feel like is next for you? Yeah, listen. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm driven to reach my goals, of course, uh, and I continue to work towards that. You know, um, but as a result of that, I think that depends on me doing a good job at Cheltenham Town Football Club. Um, and what I mean by that is is sort of improving the reputation of the club, um, and, and as a result, is it, it improves the reputation of myself and the staff because um, we're all at the club. So if the club does well, we all do well, um, and and that's the mentality I've got. So for me, is I got to control what I can control. Um, and that is the academy. Um, and it's important that, you know, we become, you know, I want to become, you know, a good player developer, you know, end of the day. And I want to show that and, and, and let the world know that we are good player developers. Um, and that's the hope, you know, because that will help me along my journey, I think, along the way. Um, you know, linked with that, I've got my own little side business, as they say, a bit of a coach mentoring business going on. Um, okay. You know, TPCM, I just work with local coaches, um, sort of local clubs as well, and just act as a consultant for some clubs or or just do a bit of work with coaches on the ground and just talk to them. Um, but yeah, that's been quite nice because that's helped me um, sort of come away from the elite environment, but give some elite knowledge and expertise to, you know, your, 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 your sort of grassroots coach that might want that next level, um, but can't quite get into that environment. So that's been quite nice. Um, Brilliant. And then again, the other one is probably my, my health, <laughs> you know, is making sure you stay healthy, you know, um, you know, because in this, I, I see it as a high pressure job. I think it's one of the most skilled jobs at the club personally, um, because there's so many elements that have been academy manager. It, it, it's, it's, it's overwhelming at times, but being able to manage that is important. And your well-being is, is, is massively important because if you're not, if you're just pure negative energy, then you, you, you know, you might have some serious issues going and health issues kind of going forward. So it's important to be have a positive mindset and eat the right foods. And, you know, for me, get the exercise and, you know, still playing football now, step five at the moment, um, down at my local club and just, yeah, enjoying that environment as well to switch off. So it's, um, yeah, Excellent. Those, those are the things. Juggling all, all at once. Yeah. Because we start to wind down now, then, you know, you're wondering if, you'd, you know, if we had 60 seconds now, uh, to leave the listeners with one golden nugget to think about and maybe apply with their own journeys, what would that be? Yeah, um, set long-term goals. Um, do not give up and find solutions to your problems along that journey. Um, be a good human being. And I think ultimately, ultimately, we've all got to look at ourselves and go, I want to become the best person um, that I can be. Um, and And that, if you start with that, you then can go back from that and say, look at the areas where you can improve as a person to become the best person you can be. That that is something I would say to people if you're driven. Fantastic. If you're driven, yeah. Fantastic, and um, Antoine, you know, just on a final note, um, you know, if the listeners did have any questions or wanted to get in touch with you in any way, is there is there any way they could do that? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so the best way to get in contact with me probably be um, info at tpcm um, services um, that would be a good idea to get in contact. I'm happy to share ideas and talk to people. It's not a charging thing. It's just obviously my personal email. It comes to me uh, and my team. So, yeah, I just think from a coaching perspective, it's, it's, yeah, you come to the right environment there to talk. Um, and, yeah, go from there, really.
Well, there you have it, guys. It's another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world, hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.